This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. You write in the Wall Street Journal, Trump did what he always does. He attacked Jack Smith and resisted his efforts. So you would know firsthand, can he be a difficult client? He'd be a difficult client, but being a difficult client doesn't mean that you should be prosecuted for a crime when you're running for president against the incumbent president. Mm -hmm. There has to be the strongest possible case to justify that. I call it the Nixon standard. Uh, In Nixon's case, he destroyed evidence. He bribed witnesses. And Republicans and Democrats alike wanted him to be removed from office. Mm -hmm. That standard hasn't been met here. And in order to prosecute somebody who's running for president against the incumbent, it has to be not only slam dunk, but it has to be something that's just inescapable. And I think the country would have been better off if he had not been uh, prosecuted, even though clearly by his own admissions, he did possess classified material. Right. Also, nobody should mention the word espionage here, in court or out of court. This is not an espionage case. He didn't sell to enemies. He didn't hurt the national security. This is a documents case. And the right. question is, should you bring a documents case, even if it's a, a strong documents case, and interfere with the election in this way? I think that's a, a hard, hard question. Of course, that was our friend Alan Dershowitz. He's set to join us momentarily with Howard Kurtz over the weekend. What is the Brooklyn significance of this song, Lewis? Well, the band is from Brooklyn. Are these the Beastie Boys? Yes. Ah, see, now it's Joseph Takapina and Dershowitz get the Beastie Boys. We know Alan has got to be a big fan. <laughs> he's a huge fan. Now, listen, Alan Dershowitz, everything Brooklyn. You know, one of the things I love most about living in Bell Harbor and Rockaway by you, Lewis, is that I go right over the Marine Park Bridge. It's called the Gil Hodges Bridge now. And I'm in Brooklyn. I get to Michael's Restaurant in 15 minutes. I get to Brennan and Carr in 15 minutes. I get to Buckley's, my old address, 2216 Quentin Road, Madison High School, and you see 15 the great, minutes. The great signs that say, forget about forget it. Forget about You're it. Stupid. That's a stupid <laughs> sign. Anyway, here he is, the brilliant constitutional attorney, and he's on the show all the time now. We're lucky to get Takapina, Idala, and Alan Dershowitz weekly. My dear friend, Alan Dershowitz, good Monday morning, Alan. Good morning. I'm so glad they renamed the bridge the Gil Hodges Bridge. Gil was my favorite guy. You know, we used to bike and find his house. We knew where he lived. We never saw him, but we knew where we lived. And we would go and pay homage to his house. I think it was in Bensonhurst in Brooklyn. Remember in those days? The Brooklyn Dodgers were working bums. They were making fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars a year. They were taking the train to work. 
I went to high school four blocks away from Everett's Field, and we knew the train stops that called for Rillo and Gil Hodges and Pee Wee Reese, not Jackie Robinson. He had to come with special car because he had security needs. Sure. But the other Dodgers would take, you know, get off on Nostrand Avenue, get off at Bedford Avenue, and we would try to meet them and walk with them to Ebbets Field. Those were the days. Oh, those were the days. And it was really was disgusting that it took baseball so long, and eventually it became the, the commissioner, the you know, the, the writers, not the actual voting group that got Gil Hodges, who had multiple 100 RBI seasons with the oh. Dodgers. And then, of course, Four he managed – Right, he managed the Mets to the World the Series. Yes. Four home runs in a game. I'll never forget, I got a phone call when I was starting out as a kid professor. Hey, this is Carl Farillo. Carl Farillo, oh, my God, you're calling me. Yeah, he was working at the World Trade Center as an elevator repair guy. They had tossed him off the Brooklyn Dodgers just a few months before he was 15 years, and he wasn't getting his full pension. And he asked me if I would take his case. Wow. My God, my God, call for Rillo asking me to take his case. Unfortunately, I couldn't do anything about it. You know, the Dodgers uh, said, no, yeah. no, no, yeah. he didn't work 15 years, you know, and so he yeah. didn't get his full pension. Well, talking about the Dodgers, uh, we, we yeah. do ask you a Brooklyn trivia question sure. every time you come on because you and I have that Brooklyn passion in common. So we'll keep it to the Dodgers here, Dersh, before we get to Donald Trump and Daniel Penny and all that stuff. Who was the last, Alan Dershowitz, the last Brooklyn Dodger to win the MVP? Oh, oh the MVP. So that would be 55 or 56. I'll give you a hint. Probably. This guy won yeah. the MVP and the Cy Young in the same year. Oh, Sandy. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't nope. be. Brooklyn Dodger wouldn't be Sandy Koufax. So nope. it would be Paul Erskine, maybe? Nope. No. No, I give up. You Ooh. give up? Don Newcomb, 1956. Oh, of course. You know, people forget that Don Newcomb was not only a great pitcher, he was a pinch hitter. I think he batted like 285, <laughs> and they would put him in as a pinch yeah. hitter sometimes. Yeah. He was so all around. And he also one day pitched the first game of a no of a doubleheader, and then he started the second game. I mean, the guy was 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 a giant. Uh, he wasn't a giant. He was a Dodger, but he was yeah. a great, great, oh, listen. great Oh, uh, those were the that. days. I miss that. Yeah. I'll never forgive myself for missing. You know, to have pitcher, the MVP, is not so common. So, right. Uh, well, yeah. Actually, only 11 guys have won the MVP and the Cy Young in the same season. And Don wow. Newcomb is uh, one of those guys. By the way, this is why Allen is on Fox News, Newsmax, every radio show across America. But this is why this is his favorite, because we talk Brooklyn every time. Hey, let's oh, get. No, I bought, I, wait, before we get to the Trump, I recently bought on an auction a great photograph. A photograph of Sandy Koufax striking out Willie Mays, and, wow. they, and both of them autographed it. Wow. And so I had, and it's just, just a wonderful picture of Sandy and his stretch motion. You know, Sandy lived on my block. He lived on 48th Street between, he was between 14th and 15th. I was 15th and 16th. His father, Irving Koufax, had a small law office in his apartment uh, near Temple Bethel in New York. And so, you know, we would see him and he went to Temple Emanuel, the synagogue, the conservative synagogues. So, of course, we didn't go there because we wouldn't go. My parents wouldn't let me go near a conservative synagogue. Are you kidding? <laughs> but uh, we saw Sandy Koufax there, and, you know, he was fantastic. You know, I'm going to stick with this for one second because here's Sandy Koufax, great Dodger, and, of course, uh, didn't pitch on Yom Kippur, which you and I love, Rosh Hashanah. But I don't know if you know about this, but the current-day Dodgers hosted the Giants on Friday night. 
And they had this group out there. They're called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And they uh, they were actually uh, honoring LGBTQ Pride Month. But this group, you know, and they're a bunch of drag queens. And what they do, Alan, is they make a mockery of Catholicism. They hate the Catholics. Oh, they make oh, fun of terrible. Jesus. They do skits oh, with terrible. sex. That's yeah, terrible. that's the Dodgers. The, mo- the Dodgers, Alan. No, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. Look. You don't make fun of people's faith, uh, and that's one of the first rules I grew up with when I was a kid. You don't make up. You don't uh, mock them. You don't attack them. They have their faith. You have your faith. That's America. George Washington wrote that all faiths in America are equal, and uh, you know the first time Washington, he was the first president ever to declare Jews, Catholics, and others equal in America. It was one of the greatest contributions America made to the world, a world that was totally divided along religious lines. And he said, in America, everybody's equal. Uh, I love that. So you did say uh, on this program not that long ago, now we'll get to Trump, and I played you and Kurtz. You said, in your 60 years of practicing law, you never saw a weaker indictment than the one here in New York with Alvin Bragg. But then I just heard you with Kurtz, and even though we both admit that this indictment really isn't weak, it's a federal indictment, they seem to get him on obstruction, maybe, maybe not, we'll see, but certainly juicier than the first one. You did say, folks, this is not espionage, and really, they shouldn't have done this. You still feel that way. I do. I have an art and up in today's uh, uh, New York Post uh, with Andy Stein about how the words espionage should never be used in this case. He didn't hurt the national security. It's a documents case. If he were, you know, running for, for, for Congress or something, all right, I can see that. But running for president of the United States against the incumbent who appoints the attorney general, you have to have the strongest case imaginable, like they had against Richard Nixon. And he wasn't even running for office. He, you know, he was the president. He was being removed. But to to indict the man who threatens to unseat your incumbent president, it has to be the strongest case. And I just don't think this case meets the Richard Nixon standard. And it, and, and does it meet the Hillary Clinton standard, the Joe Biden standard, the Sandy Berger standard, the 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 you know Pence standard? Uh, what should have happened, and I, I'm very critical that it didn't, they should have appointed a special counsel not to investigate Trump, but to investigate the problem of former government officials taking classified material home with them. Give them a broad mandate. Look at all the people who have had this problem and then make a recommendation. But when you appoint a special counsel, special prosecutor, with somebody targeted, with a target on his back, you know, to a hammer, Everything's a nail. And to a special prosecutor, every bit of evidence is directed against the person who you're targeting. That's not the right way to do it. You know, it's funny when you listen to liberals talk about Jack Smith. They they talk about him in glowing terms. And the same was true for Robert Mueller. And then you look at the, the track record for Jack Smith. You look at John Edwards, North Carolina. He's one of a, a bunch of names where this guy, Jack Smith, fell miserably short so you have to wonder why, you know, the, he's talked about, like I said, in glowing terms by the liberals, and he was the guy they went to. He does not have a great track record, Alan. Well, you know, <clears throat> people who know him tell me he's an honorable guy. He went off to The Hague to prosecute war criminals. I don't want to attack Jack Smith personally. I want to attack the concept of a special counsel with a named target. That's not the right way to yeah. go. That's, you know, yeah. this is not Soviet Union, but it's reminiscent of 
Beria and Stalin. Beria, mm. the head of the KGB, telling Stalin, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. Special counsel, they show the man. Now, some special counsel don't find the crime, but too many do, and they don't do it in a comparative way. And then Smith gets on, and this, is, this wins the chutzpah award. He gets this <laughs> press conference, and he says, in America, we have one rule, and it applies equally to all. How does he know? He didn't investigate the other cases. He only investigated the Trump case. And having investigated only the Trump case, how can he say Funny. that there's one law that applies equally to all? That's a good point. I like that. One uh, thing on this Daniel Penny case, uh, uh, as I'm close with you and Takapina and Idala, I'm also very, very good friends with Thomas Knipp. He happens to be, along with Stephen Razor, Daniel Penny's attorney. And he was on twice last week, actually, the indictment on the day after. And the one question that people have raised, including my own wife, beautiful Danielle, she's an attorney. And my friend at dinner last night at Father's Day was, why didn't Kniff and Razor uh, have Danielle Penny uh, testify before the grand jury, before they went ahead and indicted him? We know he's a great speaker. He's articulate. He made those videos three days before the indictment. Why didn't they make that a possibility before they actually brought on the arraignment? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, because I think a lot of lawyers are experienced, and they know that Judge Wachler was correct when he said a grand jury can be persuaded by the prosecutor to indict a ham sandwich. And you may be wasting an opportunity when you testify in front of the grand jury, because then your testimony at trial, if he testifies at trial, and I bet you he will testify at trial, uh, has to be completely consistent with what you said in the grand jury, and you know more evidence can arise. Look, In the Petty case, what he did initially, grabbing the guy, stopping him from harassing, was 100% right. He should have gotten a medal for that. Then you get to the issue, what about grabbing him around the neck? Look, the guy was a Marine. He's trained. Uh, Did he have the mens rea? Did he have the the mental element necessary to elevate this to, to a crime, to manslaughter? There's a concept in law called lenity, and that is when the evidence of the law can go both ways, you always, always incline it in favor of the defendant. And the concept of lenity in this case should have resulted in no prosecution, in my view. Totally agree. And let's be honest, if he would have uh, even testified before the grand jury, they, they still would have brought the charges anyway, right? It wasn't like Knipp blew an opportunity to have this thing not seen. No matter what, they were going to do this, right? I think that's right. And I would never second guess a lawyer who knows more about the facts and more about the evidence than any of us does. And uh, I hope he has great lawyers, and you tell me he does, and that's good. he does. Because this is an important case. This is not the Bernard Getz case. You know, Bernard Getz went on the train with a gun looking for trouble. Uh, This is a guy who's just going about his business, doing exactly what I would hope anybody would do, and that is stop somebody from harassing. Now, you know, he didn't know that the guy had this horrible criminal record where he almost killed an elderly woman. And one of the interesting issues in the case is going to be whether the jury learns about that. Did the grand jury learn about that? Did the prosecutor tell the grand jury that this guy had previously almost killed a woman by bashing her head in with his bare hands? Did the grand jury know that? Should the grand jury know that? Should the petty jury know that? If I were teaching criminal law, again, at Harvard, as I did for 50 years, this would be one of the cases that I would be considering. I have I had cases like this over the years, and generally um, I've won them. 
Um, So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens here. Let's see what happens with Donald Trump. By the way, if you want to know about all the other Donald Trump investigations that are going on, you know, read my book, Get Trump, because in Get Trump, I go over every one of the cases, not only the New York and the Florida case, but the Georgia case and the D.C. case. And I show how weak each of them is. And, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter. I voted for Hillary Clinton and I voted for Joe Biden. And I'm planning to vote for the Democrat if the Democrat is any good. We'll see. But uh, I am a supporter of the Constitution, no matter who is being prosecuted. Oh, go by get Trump. Seriously. I know you're going to say, well, Alan wrote the book. It's his own book. Trust me, I didn't write the book. It is an amazing book. It's actually, he's like uh, he's like a soothsayer. Like, he knew it. Like, Nostradamus. He knew all this stuff was going to happen, and it did happen. It's a great book, Get Trump. On the way out, I'm making plans now, uh, Alan, to go see my mother. She's up uh, by Monticello, Conneonga Lake, White Lake, a lovely area. You know, upstate New York. You know that area. Believe me, I know that area. I got into a lot of trouble <laughs> as a teenager uh, in the Catskill Mountains in Greenfield Park in yep. Liberty. Yep. I went to uh, Camp Maple Lake in, uh, in uh, Livingston Manor, New York. And there you we go. would go all over the Catskill. So you know it well, but I'm thinking as I'm making my plans to go see my mom, is Alan Dershowitz going to be spending time this summer in his summer getaway with his good buddy Larry David in Martha's Vineyard? But since they started fighting with you and your wife, do you go back there? Uh, yeah, I'm there right now. You I'm are? standing on my deck on Martha's Vineyard. People leave me alone. Nobody talks to me. Somebody had dinner with me the other night, and he got three phone calls after having dinner with me. Don't you ever have dinner with Dershowitz again. If we ever see you having dinner with Dershowitz again, we'll stop inviting you to our party. And Caroline Kennedy sits next to me one day at a dinner party and says, if I knew you were coming, I wouldn't have accepted the invitation. You defended Donald Trump. I said, Caroline, I also defended a man accused of murder on Martha's Vineyard. His name was Ted Kennedy. He was your (laughs) uncle. You didn't avoid me then. You loved me when I defended Ted Kennedy on Martha's Vineyard. Wow. You can't stand the fact that I defended Donald Trump. Wow. I didn't know you did that in the Mary Jo Kopechny case, huh? That's how I got to Martha's Vineyard the first time ever. It was the day a man landed on the moon, and I got a call from Ted Kennedy's chief of staff. Saying you've got to come to the vineyard. I didn't. I didn't know the vineyard. I didn't know anything. I was on Fire Island with my family at the time. I had to take a bus to the train, the train to the ferry. Look at this. Eight hours. Yeah, yeah. I finally got here, and I was part of the defense wow. team. Wow, you've uh, had quite a run here. Ted Kennedy, O.J. Simpson, <laughs> Trump, and others. Hey, I love you, Alan. You're a great, great guest and a super guy. And I love you. And Brooklyn loves you. We'll do it again very, very soon. Thank you. Looking forward. Thank you. Thank you. The great Alan Dershowitz. That's like uh, he's become uh, like like a favorite interview. Like I love talking to him. If you had an accident, trust Gabu Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabu Law has recovered millions for their clients, and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabu Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabolaw, where winning is no accident.